Welcome to the History and Physical, the official medical student podcast of In Training Magazine. We're your hosts, Kevin Wong, Amol Donker, and Rohit Kakade. How can humor provide a chance to humanize our experiences in medicine? Also, how does social media offer medical students new channels and communities for support? This week, HNP sits down with Dr. Cranky, who's been called the grandfather of the Medlar community and is dean of the, wait for it, Princeton Medlar Teaching Hospital, the first Tumblr-based residency program. Dr. Cranky is an urgent care physician who blogs about his experiences on Dr. Cranky's mumbled gripes at cranky.tumblr.com. In this podcast, we spoke with Dr. Cranky about the medical community on Tumblr, humor and medicine, and social media as a form of communication, coping, and camaraderie for medical students. Welcome to today's podcast episode on a beautiful sunny Sunday afternoon. Um, we're here today with the co-host, my co-host, Ama Untrankar, and our very special guest, Dr. Ken Ki. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Ken Ki. We're really, really honored to have you here. Thanks. It's a real pleasure to be doing this thing with you guys. Great. So I guess we'll just jump into our first question, and that's for anyone out there who hasn't read your Tumblr um, or your blog as who you are and what do you do. Well, for anyone who has read the blog, you'll know that that first question kind of sends paranoia running up and down my spine. Who I am in real life is not a, uh, a uh, geriatric uh, misanthrope named Dr. Cranky, um, but uh, in real life I'm an uh, urgent care physician, family medicine trained, uh, working somewhere within the confines or governmental policies of the United States of America uh, in a town I call Crankyville. And uh, have been doing that uh, for, wow, almost a decade now. But uh, have been doing the blogging thing on Tumblr for almost four years, coming up June. Wow, great. Um, so by uh, the confines of the government, uh, you're relating to HIPAA um, and the need to stay anonymous? Right, and that uh, that explains my paranoia in part. Um, when I got into doing the the blogging thing. It had been an idea already floating in my head for a few years. Um, unfortunately, blogging wasn't really uh, very well known yet when I was in med school. The internet was there, email was there, but the concept of just writing about your everyday life and experiences was not really popular yet. Otherwise, I certainly would have started this in med school because the stories that that I was experiencing and writing down in little, you know, uh, text files on my phone were stories that were exactly like what I blog about now. But I didn't really know about the concept until about four four years ago, five years ago, and started thinking, wow, you know, maybe people would want to hear about what I see every day. And as I as I label as a headline on the on my blog, you know, I I, I, I categorize it as recollections of the stupid or funny things that I see people doing in healthcare. Um, it was mainly just a blog that I wanted to use for venting. But it uh, turned out that after a little while, um, it also became an uh, informal way of interacting with uh, pre-med and medical students, and then even burgeoned from there into a, uh, 
into kind of a give and take uh, informal consult this random guy on the internet thing where people would send me in questions and I would reply to them. That unfortunately that aspect of it has has um, slowed down a bit in the last year or two. His life has gotten busier with having a couple kids and all, but certainly it's still something I want to get back to with the blog as well. So because of all that, as I started exploring it and um, kind of uh, making my way on my own, because there were certainly by that point uh, people out there blogging about medicine, but that I knew of, not really a lot of people blogging about their real-life day-to-day patient experiences in medicine, I kind of made my own um, code of guidelines as to what I wanted to do for protecting my identity and certainly my patients' identities, <clears throat> especially since a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the recollections I was posting weren't exactly flattering to the uh, to the patients. So I invented the identity of Dr. Cranky and decided not to divulge where I practiced specifically or uh, any details which would identify me or the patients. And so in doing so, my goal was to go above and beyond HIPAA. You know, um, certainly I could I could tell stories about people under my real name. And most likely, people wouldn't be able to figure out who they were if I changed the identities around enough. But the way I figured it was, if nobody even knew who the doctor was who was telling these stories, then everybody was protected. Um, as things have gone along, I've had a lot of feedback from different people in social media and uh, and doctors as well. Um, notably, Dr. Jay Parkinson, who uh, is doing a lot of work with Sherpa right now, and just you know, he's kind of been the the, the grandfather of uh, integrating the internet into medicine. And uh, the feedback in general tends to be, oh, you should just come out from behind your hiding. You know, th- what your stories are are great. You know, and sure, maybe you wouldn't be able to just tell all the uh, the little, uh, as I as I label them, the stupidiot stories, because you know now people would maybe identify the patients a little bit easier or think maybe that's me and I saw that doctor, so I don't want to end up in one of his stories. But um, I still hide behind the veil for now. I I don't know if things will change in the future. And it's been interesting to see the idea of internet and medicine integrating more and more over these last few years. So hopefully that's going to continue to to benefit the relationships between doctors and patients. But for now, from the angle that I'm taking, I'm just kind of keeping my face hid. That's a really interesting progression. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about actually was, as you mentioned, that sort of um, the stupidity stories you mentioned or that kind of dark humor. So... Since it's something that med students encounter with quite with a decent amount of frequency, I've seen it get some pretty different reactions. So some people have described it as sort of, you know, as something that can be a way of coping or a way of um, sort of detaching yourself from the patient experience, whereas other people have thought, talked about it as being somewhat, you know, of a offensive practice in ways. And so it's something that, I guess, in my understanding, tends to draw some controversy from both sides. It, how do you see that type of humor and do you think it can be helpful in any way to our to daily practice? Well certainly there is a lot of attention to it and, um, and I think part of the reason is is that out of all the various habits and um, traditions that physicians pick up the the black humor, the dark humor, the um, always look on the dark side of life aspect is probably one of the most shocking because it goes directly against the um, the the picture we paint in our advertisements in our in our um, day-to-day portrayals to patients uh, you know we are supposed to be strong and tough upper lip and 
ready to deal with whatever comes our way, not letting it phase us in one bit, and perhaps we'll shed one single tear when that child dies. But other than that, we are going to press forward, and certainly if a patient should somehow manage to not live up to the full quality and potential of a patient and display something less than normal IQ, well, that's just okay because, you know, they're in pain or they're suffering, and so we're just going to ignore that and soldier through with the science of, of medicine. And so then when you run into now the, the explosion of medical blogging and Twitter and Facebook, and certainly there's a whole aspect of this that is done improperly by some physicians and they get in trouble for it, and rightly so, um, but when you run into the privacy-protecting, non-identifying snarkiness that you can get certainly a lot of on the internet in the medical community. Patients or non-medical people who run into this feel a great uh, discrepancy and incongruency between that and what we portray. And so it comes off as, oh my goodness, these people have they've been lying to us all along. It's just all, it's just all a farce. They're, they're just all walking around in their white coats with their pens and their clipboards and their laptops. And the whole time that we're you know, exposing our souls to them, they're just trying to write down the funny stuff and make fun of us behind our back and jab at us. Well, yes and no. We're all human. And I think that's one big thing that the Internet is doing that nothing else has been able to do yet, exposing the fact that doctors are human too. And that's a big deal because it brings, it, it, it brings into, into this, this relationship an important factor, and that is remembering that you're human on both sides of the examining table. Now, why should that matter? Well, for the most part, for regular day-to-day -day encounters, it's not that big of a deal. But when you've got things that are going wrong, when you have doctors making an error, or when you have U.S. healthcare policy debates going on, in which the stereotype of the rich doctor continues to just come back and back and back, despite how obviously dead it is. When you look at the statistics, the rich doctor is a myth now. And yet, Patients and policymakers see those doctors under this, this stereotype, and, they, and part of that stereotype includes the idea that they are not really human. Nobody who would go willingly into that much debt and to that many years of investment of time and to staying up for 30 to 36 hours or whatever the latest time policies are could possibly be really human. And that, in that dehumanization, it then allows the doctors or it forces the doctors to have a weaker role. And so, yes, this dark humor, the black humor can be done improperly. I, and I would never condone it for the sake of just saying, hey, look, people are stupid. Now, do I say people are stupid? Yes, I do. But the overall arc, the trajectory of when I write about these, about these encounters that you get with people making just brain-dead decisions, is that people need to learn from their stupidity. And if you don't learn, you're never going to change things. The, the recurring theme you'll see in a lot of the dark humor and black humor is that the doctors, no matter how much they want to help, there are times when you just can't because the patient won't let you. And you can explain, you can talk, you can pray to them until they're blue in the face, and yet they're not going to make a change because they just do not want to listen. And so that is, that black humor is a learning moment. It's a learning moment for the patients to realize, hey, you know what? Sometimes what you think is coming off as a wise decision is not really that wise. It's not scientifically sound. It's not making sense from a relationship standpoint. It's doing yourself or other people harm. 
it's also a learning point for the for us doctors because when we encounter that stupidity and we share it with others if somebody else who's a pre-med student a med student a physician has not encountered that particular thing before sure we laugh at it that's our first reaction and it's good to laugh at these kinds of things it, it, it builds a community within ourselves as well but it also helps us to start mentally preparing for well, what would I do if a patient came up and told me that what would I do if a patient made the decision to refuse that particular intervention how would I try to explain to them in the heat of the moment without losing my cool the, out, the possible outcomes and make sure that that the informed consent is really informed when they are making their decision so that that humor it's more than just a, a relief valve it's more than just a a learned defense mechanism it's also a learning opportunity yeah I really like the the fact that you take on black humor as a learning opportunity I mean when I first started reading your blog a few years ago um, number one it was because I thought of you position of Tumblr uh, you were giving everyone a lot of medical advice which which for good reasons you you maintain your anonymity but also the black humor that you involved with your patient stories um, really reminded me of Samuel Shem's The House of God which was one of the first times <laughs> that the medical community itself actually looked back and there was someone willing to come out and say you know medical education and the medical academic system isn't necessarily good for everyone I mean talk about mm -hmm. the fat man and the fact that mm -hmm. he said the best thing you can do is to do nothing um, mm -hmm. it, it really evolved a lot of ways to do introspection and with the explosion of medical blogs on the internet um, yours has a really defining role um, in, in actually providing a, a different voice rather than the whole either commenting on health policy com commenting on the latest journals but actually talking about some more patient stories that force people to to think about um, what they're getting into and I, I, I really appreciate all the work that you've done for either pre-meds out there or medical students actually to consider how they're going to become as doctors and the fact that they can't really cure every patient, um, which is definitely definitely a thing that we can talk further about, um, <laughs> either between social determinants of health or uh, uh, other factors as well. So it, it really was a great um, issue that you bring about the, the role of black humor in writing. Um, but uh, the second one that I, the second point that you mentioned that I found really interesting was this whole kind of demonization of doctors, the, the whole 200,000 six-figure um, salaries that they can bring in. And um, the, it's, it's been getting a lot of controversy because actually um, there's, there's kind of, I think it was Jordan Grummet who mentioned that doctors really need to define themselves now, not that they have public uh, social media to do it. They have a chance to go outside of what their academic medical associations or anyone else define as what they should look like and be able to express their own voices. And I think I see this a lot, maybe even in research, where physicians were saying, um, actually, it's the hospital administrators that are really bringing in the money. I mean, you see figures of hospital presidents bringing in $35 million from a children's hospital. Um, and, and yet they don't get any of the attention because, you know, oh, we need insurance and we need hospital administration to actually run our systems. But um, it, it brings also really good points about that. You know, um, <clears throat> the funny thing is, is that when you're going into medicine, you know you're setting yourself up for a lot of debt and you know that you're investing a lot of time in for what's not going to be an immediate payback and certainly when I say that the rich doctors myth is a myth I mean that, that there are no rich doctors don't get me wrong I'm not saying that you cannot get rich being a doctor however 
if you want to get rich, being a doctor is not the way to do it because the investment to payoff ratio is horrific. So when you're a med student and you're, get, you know, you're signing those papers and you're seeing the debt accumulate and then you get into residency and you realize that, yeah, I'm getting paid now, but it's just basically so that I, I can eat two bowls of ramen instead of one for dinner. Uh, there's, there's then this shock, which eventually will hit you at some point when you realize what people think you're making and, the, and, and how much money people think you're taking in and the fact that people don't realize how much debt you have. It really doesn't sink in for the majority of the population and the policymakers. And so the rich doctor myth continues not because doctors are out there driving their Lexuses, but because doctors are out there driving their Lexuses and people don't realize how long it took them to get that Lexus. And because people don't realize how much debt they're probably still paying off even if they have a Lexus. So we have this, I think, uh, uh, a responsibility, maybe an unfair one that has come onto the shoulders of doctors, but we now have a responsibility to, in essence, have a, a, a transparency of finances to really start explaining to the public at large, and certainly not a conversation I'm going to have with my patients individually, but at the public at large and on the internet, social media level, that, look, guys, our, our income is a steady income. There's always going to be somebody sick. And our income is usually a fair income. Certainly there's portions of the country where, where physicians make less than in other portions of the country, but then you have to also take in all the factors, you know, the cost of living and all that stuff. But our income is not why we went into medicine. However, our income is what keeps us in medicine because we can have great intentions. And certainly there is a, a large proportion of physicians who, who practice medicine intentionally making less money than they could you know, volunteering and, and taking time to go overseas or working overseas or doing it in clinics and settings where they get not reimbursed at all or just a pittance. But even the ones who don't do that are not doing it for the money, not solely for the money. Now, there is a variation, a bell curve in that population. There's got to be the greedy ones out there. But if so, like I said, they went into it the wrong way because if they really wanted the money, there were so many other ways to do it without destroying your health and your and your your uh, the timeline of your life. You're investing so much time into doing it. But doctors need to be able to explain this in a way which then helps to 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 um, to modify how policymakers react when we then push for reform which helps us to maintain our standard of living. Oh, they just want to be able to afford two yachts. That's why they're complaining about the, the, the latest uh, failure in the Medicare uh, gap policies. No, it's because if we don't accommodate for the, it, the cost of practice and for the cost of staff and for the cost of malpractice, we can't stay afloat. And the fact that insurance companies are making X billion dollars, uh, you know, billions of dollars off of, uh, off of the, the healthcare industry does not equal, and therefore the doctors are making billions of dollars too. So in trying to make ourselves more human to patients, I bring this back around to what, to our initial, you know, to the start of this interview, we are trying to not just explain 
why we make the decisions we make in our practices and in dealing with, you know, the um, sub-intellectual patient, maybe that's a polite way of saying it, but also in why we are continuing to be so stubborn about the U.S. policies. Uh, you know, and, I, and, I, and, of course, I'm a U.S. physician. This is all I've got to, to relate with. I don't, I don't claim to understand how it works in the rest of the world. But at least in the U.S. policies, why we are being so stubborn about the need to fix the, the reimbursement system, to fix Medicare, and to just stop putting Band-Aids on it. That's a really insightful point. And I appreciate this concept here that, you know, in the same way that medical humanities coursework and that kind of thing allows you to really see the patient experience of things, social media is really turning that around and allowing the general public to see the physician side of things. So Absolutely. being able to have these conversations that you might not be able to have you know, with a patient one-on-one, -on -one, having the public on a broader scale. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So on a, in a broader sense then, so given that you've you know, got cultivated almost this community of sorts on Tumblr, what advice do you have for medical students who either might be interested in getting into healthcare social media or more interested in joining this sort of Tumblr blogging community? All right, so the Tumblr blogging community, um, we there really needs to be like a like a bright orange bar across the top of Tumblr when you log into it, especially if it's your first time, which says, "Beware all ye who enter the Medblur community because there's a lot of wackos here." Um, but that's the internet, and if you're going to use the internet, you're just going to be aware of that fact. It's not just anymore about you know. Um, Oh, I'm studying for step one, and, and this is so hard, but um, here's the latest 15-letter uh, acronym I came up with. Or, uh, man, you know, this is uh, so exciting. I got into med school. Uh, can't wait to see how it goes uh, two weeks later. Sorry, guys, I'm, I'm having major depression because med school is so hard. It's not just, just these expressions anymore, but it's an interconnection of expressions. And the, the conversations that build from this, are are just beautiful to watch, and the personalities of, of these blogs as they as they grow and interact with each other, um, you know, I I, I, I kind of get referred to or treated as the as the grandfather in, in the medical community, and and I would say in one aspect of it, I would certainly agree because I, I like to just sit back and watch these conversations happen and, and kind of you know creak back in my rocking chair and tap my pipe on the armrest and go, yeah, I've seen all these little whippersnappers since they were knee-high to a toadstool. It's just beautiful to watch these kids grow up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And the fact that I, that they, that, that these, uh, that these pre-med and med student bloggers still, um, still want to interact with, with crusty old me, uh, on that level is a lot of fun too. You know, I mean, we, we play, we, we gift back and forth to each other. We, there's, there's snarkiness and insults, and it's, it's a lot of fun. And as a med student, I think that that is, that is a, a community that will carry you so far. Here's why I say that. Because it's not just that there's a lot of intellectual resource there and, um, and shared knowledge about the, the, the hidden skills you have to have to really survive med school, but that also there is this community of support. There is a, a, an overall attitude of building morale and of, of making sure that no one is left behind. Everybody is encouraged. And that is something that 
<clears throat> as a med student myself, I could have used so much of. This community on Tumblr is a community that cares about its members. And the definition of members is so loosely defined that it's not like you even have to be a med student. You can you know, be just involved in healthcare in any way, but you can contribute to carrying these people along. And as, as that group of shared experiences continues to grow, it, it creates hope on a day-to-day -day basis. And that hope is something that you lose, you can lose sight of so fast when you're in med school and you're just in the bowels of the library and the lab for hours. And even though you have physical classmates there with you, there is that, for most of us, there is that, that, that internal psychological barrier of really showing the weakness, of really taking the time to explain that it's not just that, yeah, we're all kind of stressed about this exam, but no, really, I'm dying on the inside here. I, I really don't think I made the right decision, and, and, and maybe I just don't need to be here at all. And it's hard to explain that sometimes when you know that if you have that conversation with somebody in person in your med school, they're going to remember it, and you're going to see them tomorrow and the next week and for years afterwards. And the anonymity of the Internet in the Tumblr community allows you to share that exact same set of emotions and to just receive the, the warmth and acceptance and encouragement that you need to get you through one more day without worrying so much about, and these people know who I really am. It's a, it's a gift of anonymity in a sense. And it, it really, it, I cannot begin to imagine how, how nice it must be for, for med students to get that feedback, to be told by people who have just done the exact same, you know, rotation or, or just dealt with the exact same set of failures. You know what? I made it through that. You can make it through this too. We're, I, I, I picture us as this, as this, um, as this band of, uh, as this platoon of, of, uh, of, of, of infantrymen and we're just slogging through the trenches and every single person in that, in that trench is looking out for everybody around them. The really integrated take on the whole MedBlue community. I mean, when I'm when I'm browsing through my own Tumblr feed, uh, a lot of times it is the whole SDN versus Med MedBlur community um, kind of benefits and and cons of of that community as well, um, and and the fact that everyone's building each up. Uh, each other up to to succeed and and to act as a uh, thing of support. And the the funny thing is that it actually happened to be a very organic development. Unlike a forum or mm -hmm. or a website specifically developed for this, um, people just really adopted this platform, like the the website, um, to to do a success. I mean, the the use of gifts is hilarious. Uh, I mean, you yourself are what. A dean emeritus of the Prince, what what is the Princeton Medbloral <laughs> Community Hospital? Yes, Princeton Medbloral Teaching Hospital, the world's only Tumblr ba Tumblr based online only residency. <laughs> Just ridiculousness. But you know, uh, Doctor Baffled in Brooklyn, a, a, a uh, uh, pediatric neonatologist, uh, e pediatric ER doctor of osteopathy based out of New York uh, came up with this idea, oh, hey, let's let's have an online residency. What is it really? It's just really role play. It's Dungeons and Dragons in a hospital setting. But it's uh, it's just it's silliness. But, you know, it's that silliness that allows us to have that community. Because you're right, it wasn't built to be Student Doctor Network 2. It was Tumblr. And people started using Tumblr for whatever reason they wanted to use Tumblr and then re realized that, oh, there's people on here who are doing med school. Well, let me befriend them. 
oh, they don't just post about med school. They also post about the things that they like, the sunrises and the coffees and the, the, the shipping and who knows what. There's a bunch of wackos out there, and they all happen to have one thing in common, which is an interest in med school. Uh, There's some, some mile marker along the medical pathway. And so in becoming friends with these people online, you're not just getting that, that you know, uh, it, it's not just a long string of posts about how to get into med school and how to, how to ace the step exams. It's interspersed with all sorts of ridiculousness, and you start to realize that these people are human too. And in so doing, you keep your own humanity. Because that's one of the biggest things you have to fight for in medicine. It's not making it through the exams. It's making it through the exams and keeping your sanity and keeping your ability to still interconnect with human with humankind around you. Nobody wants a doctor who's an android. Nobody wants a doctor who's just uh, who's just going to, you know, see the disease and only the disease and not be able to empathize with you. So you got to keep that humanity. And if one of the ways of you being able to do that is being able to interact with other people who like My Little Ponies, well maybe My Little Ponies is a bit too far. <laughs> who like who like Doctor Who and 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 uh, and and gifts about about cats petting otters hey if that's what helps keeps you sane that's what keeps you sane and in doing so then you're going to realize these are all humans around you and this is already practice then for how to interact with your patients and how, how to interact with your with your medical peers in real life you remember and you always have this little this little um, ping in the back of your mind this is a person too and I need to interact with them as a person and not just as the intern underneath me in, in residency or as the medical student on the ward. I need to interact with them as a human being. And I think this is going to change for the better how doctors provide care to patients and how doctors take care of each other. Because we're going to keep on reminding each other through the internet that we're human. Thank you so much. That's some really phenomenal advice. And I really hope that our student listeners will be inspired to, from this, really think about the ways that they can if they haven't already, join that social media community, become part of that interconnection of expression, really try to think about how social media can be a way to connect with their peers and to connect with the broader public. Talking about Tumblr and its ability to promote this kind of humanity within the medical students at some some of the hardest times, I mean, even for pre-meds, like the M, there's a pre-med hashtag that, that's always either usually full of MCATs or, or something more hilarious on the side. Um, can you can you describe why you ended up choosing Tumblr versus um, other forms of social media? So I know that you have a Facebook page um, that that people have liked, and you pro- promote updates onto that. And um, you you don't seem to be on Twitter as much, which was another uh, platform that really promoted a kind of organic uh, community um, that talks more about relevant issues in medical education, healthcare, social media. Um, can you describe kind of your dis- thought process over how it happened? Um, to just decide to form a blog on, on Tumblr versus using other forms of social media? Sure. Um, it, was, it was very accidental. I think I was on a, on a plane and reading an in-flight magazine, and there was a list. They were, they were talking about microblogging, and there was a list of blog sites that were doing that. And I think Tumblr was you know, already kind of getting uh, its, its second wind after having gone, gone live and... Uh, it was starting to, to get some notoriety, and so the the write up was particularly um, um, positive about Tumblr and its ability to to be used for not just writing text posts but doing all sorts of other things. And so, since I didn't even know what I was going to be doing with this blog yet, I knew for sure I was going to be writing text posts, and they were going to be usually long. As you've noticed from my replies to your questions so far in this interview, I am not a short-winded man. 
<laughs> so I needed something where I could write long posts, but at the same time, I had uh, I really hadn't. Um, uh, I, let me back up. About about a year and a half prior to starting Dr. Cranky, I had written, I had created a blog and written two posts on it. Um, and the idea was that I was going to write this blog uh, about um, uh, natural remedies, I think it was. And so um, I, I used, what's the old, um, I don't know if it's even still running to Google, but the old, I think it was Blogger. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I used Blogger, and, and you know, it, it was, it was it worked. It was fine, but I just I don't know. It never really caught my own attention, and so the idea of being able to maybe someday branch out and write more than just text posts kind of intrigued me. So I went and signed up for Tumblr, and well, we'll see what happens. And I, you know, the account sat there for weeks, and then um, as I got into writing the first few posts, I was completely internet ignorant. I mean. I've, I've used the internet for years, but the, the, the concept of internet 2.0 was really over my head still at that point. And so, you know, all I knew was how to insert hyperlinks. And uh, as I started writing and then started kind of experimenting around with it a little bit, I realized the, the richness of what I could actually be doing with this thing and, you know, including images and then, you know, starting to take questions from people. And it just built step by step from there. It really was a matter of me finding the time to go, okay, I think this week I can try this whole uh, audio text button and see what that does. So Tumblr has been really, really great for this <clears throat> overall. Um, the the uh, the fact that you're not set into any particular length of a reply or a, a particular style of a, of, a, of a post is really nice. And I think for med students and people who are really busy, it also then allows you to kind of do the Twitter thing as well, where, you know, you can just slap up something really quickly, a picture, whatever you want to do, and then when you've got the time to sit down and really decompress, you can churn out the, you know, the, the uh, dashboard-eating post. Now, Facebook and Twitter um, were, uh, certainly in my, in my real identity, I was on Facebook already for quite a few years, actually, starting right during med school, if I remember right, uh, right after, and... Um, I hadn't even considered trying to branch Cranky out in any, in any direction besides just writing a blog. I mean, I didn't start this blog in order to get famous, you know? It was just a vent. So the, um, the community started saying, hey, you know, you should be on, on, other, on other sites so that we can share you around. And I looked at it and kind of took a poll and said, okay, who wants me on Facebook, who wants me on Twitter? And people were overall more interested in Facebook. I lucked out in having four fantastic women uh, volunteer to... Uh, to be my Facebook minions and to kind of take over the, the running of that. So they, they take care of that now. And uh, as for Twitter, well, again, you know, unless, it, uh, other than maybe using it as a, uh, as a, as a you know, easy reblogging, resharing uh, forum, what I, what I, the way I think and the way I write <clears throat> really takes more than 140 characters. I don't, I don't think Dr. Cranky would, uh, I don't think Dr. Cranky would do so well on Twitter. <laughs> But uh, that's just me. And then I, you know, um, there's there's certainly a lot of other social media sites that I that I could get involved with. I've um, toyed with the idea of trying to like really start a YouTube channel. Um, certainly, there's other medical bloggers who are doing that very well. Um, but with my constraint of anonymity, the you know, what's the purpose of video really for me? You know, <laughs> you can, so uh, audio posts are kind of like the the. The, the, the cutting edge for me right now, the, the whole getting involved with podcasts and interviews or putting up uh, silly songs and stuff on the blog. 
Oh, oh yeah, but, the uh, Cranky you know. Christmas specials? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you may want to uh, to revise what you th what you may want to revise your your own um, your own opinion as to when I describe my patients as not being totally sane. When you realize that the person making the judgment also likes to write parodies of Christmas songs based on musical medical themes, or <laughs> if you've ever stumbled into some of my side blogs, you know I, I also write the. Uh, zombie-themed parodies of Sound of Music tracks. Uh, it's just, yeah, I can't explain it, guys. <laughs> Being tired with two little kids, sometimes with weird things to your head, you're sitting in the rocking chair at 3 in the morning going, this would be the greatest idea for a blog. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, also, I didn't, I didn't really answer the other part of your question a couple questions ago, which was, you know, any advice for medical students getting into blogging? Not just getting into Tumblr, and certainly Tumblr, if you're going to get into Tumblr, come on down. We've got a great buffet. You should try it out. But um, just getting into the use of the Internet and social media as a med student, probably the two main things I would, I would encourage you. Number one, know your school's social media policies. Um, let us all learn the lessons that, um, that the great uh, Tom from Medical State has taught us, medicalstate.tumblr.com. Um, and uh, the experience that he's dealt with in having to severely revamp uh, his excellent blog, his excellent med student blog, um, as he uh, encountered um, some feedback or pushback from his school's medical, uh, from his school's social media policy gurus or whatever. Uh, so that is the first thing. Know what you can and can't do. I mean, you know, know the limits. But within those limits, number two, make it your own thing. Don't worry about trying to imitate me or anybody else who's out there. It's about revealing your humanity. You're, you're, what you're doing is two things. You are, number one, connecting into a, an excellent power source and, and motivational source of other students with like-minded interests and with like struggles as you. But number two, you are then contributing your own motivation and your own taste of humanity to those people. So just get out there and be yourself. Be unique. Post about whatever the heck you want to post about. Do it in whichever attitude or tone of voice or, or, um, or, with, or with, with whichever set of gifts you want to use. Uh, on Tumblr, at least, we're very accepting, and it doesn't matter what your background is and how you got into medicine and what, you, what specialty you're going into. Just get online and start talking about it you're going to get so much back from your investment, and we would love to have you. Wonderful advice. And the fact that in 2014 we can refer to an online community in the we sense and really sort of take on a social collective in that way is fascinating. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? I, I, think, I think we need to – this is just a brain – Storm, but what we need to start figuring out is ways to to even start attending each other's graduation ceremonies. You know, not in person, but you know, we got to start. We got to start live streaming this stuff. We got to start attending each other's graduation parties. We got to start giving each other um, uh, graduation gifts. We got to start just really lifting each other up through this because you know our parents do it and our and our closest buddies from college do it. But other than that. It's really just you out there by yourself when you're when you're when you're hitting these milestones. You've got your family right around you, but you know what? We're a big family too online, so we need to start finding ways of of, of making a big deal of those celebration to, of the celebration moments. Awesome. Uh, so I think to wrap up our podcast, um, I mean, there's so many good soundbound sound bites in this podcast. Um, for me, discovery that you're doing zombie themed uh, related <laughs> things to sound and music. I'm, I'm going to be googling that like. 
immediately after after I end this, and we'll probably try to put up uh, a link to that in the show notes. Um. Okay, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the sound of zombies. Um, I I I apologize. <laughs> well, we 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 all have our events with, with with various things, but this is definitely something that I look forward to. But really, um, a lot of the things that you mentioned here, uh, Amol and I and our co-host Rohi will definitely try to be writing stuff up about this, recording this, so that it's in, in text form as well. I think it's a good essay for people to read and preserve in prosperity, especially if you can't listen to the podcast. Um, it really insightful things. Um, but to wrap up our podcast, we would like to do something uh, humorous. And so uh, this is a would you rather question. Uh, Amal, oh. do you want to take the honors on it? Surely. So the question is, would you rather live in a massively architecturally sound pillow fort or a cozy blanket fort? Okay, so here's the problem with the blanket forts. I was just making one of these last night with my two boys. <laughs> and unless you have a really breathable blanket, it starts to get so hot in there. But if you have a blanket fort, the benefit to it is that you're able to trap air within this blanket. And so if you trap it just right and the blanket is of the right material, you actually create a bubble, which is really cool until you get a leak. Well, it's that very leak which lets in the fresh air. So then you're stuck with this constant decision. At what point are we asphyxiating and getting too sweaty and we need to let more air in? But when we let the air in, do we want to let the bubble collapse? So then we got to reinflate it all over again. A lot of work. So the pillow fort, on the other hand, allows you to really expand because you've got large pillows. Certainly, you're going to get your sofa cushions involved. If you're not building with sofa cushions, you're not a pillow fort builder. But if you've got your sofa cushions involved, you've got your long body pillows, which work really great for providing some, some uh, sloped entrances. And then, of course, you've got your down cushions, which you can use to, build, to kind of build and fill in the corners. Your sofa cushions will still stay standing even if you take out a couple little corner pieces. So you can have your airflow. And really, when it comes down to it, when it's you and a couple of sweaty little kids crawling around inside this thing, which is way bigger on the outside than it is on the inside, as opposed to the TARDIS, then you've got to consider your airflow. And as an adult male who sweats, airflow is key. So pillow fort. I'm going to have to go with the pillow fort answer. Okay, so you heard it here on this in-training podcast. Coming soon to the Princeton Medblow Teaching Hospital is going to be the wing of cranky made of pillows. That's absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Ah, thanks so much for coming to our podcast and giving us all these insights into into the Medblow and also uh, social media. Um, We really, really appreciate it. And I think this is one of our funnest podcasts uh, that we've had since. Definitely appreciate it. You're very welcome, guys. Uh, Happy to do it again sometime, and I'll just toss my blog's address out in here right now. Mm -hmm. For those of you who who don't know my sense of humor, so Cranky is spelled C-R-A-N-Q-U-I-S, and that's cranky.tumblr.com. Come on by. Um, There's a lot of uh, reblogging of myself going on lately because life is kind of busy, but there's some fresh stuff every now and then. Love to have you. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. The H&P Podcast is a podcast by students for students. We're looking to evolve with you, so feel free to reach out to us via email, Twitter, Tumblr, via the show notes, or on the in-training website. If you like us, please consider subscribing on iTunes and giving us a five-star rating. The H&P is a member of Vocalis, a podcast network for medical students. Please listen to our partners at Vocalis Network. Dot W I X 
dot com slash listen.